Chapter Three of Russian Fairy Tales by William Ralston Shedden Ralston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Part Five. From these vocal rivers, we will now turn to that elementary force by which in winter they are often rendered mute. In the story which is now about to be quoted will be found a striking personification of frost. As a general rule, winter plays by no means so important a part as might have been expected in northern tales. As in other European countries, so in Russia, the romantic stories of the people are full of pictures bathed in warm sunlight, but they do not often represent the aspect of the land when the sky is gray and the earth is a sheet of white and outdoor life is somber and still. Here and there, it is true, glimpses of snowy landscapes are offered by the skazkas, but it is seldom that a wintry effect is so deliberately produced in them as is the case in the following remarkable version of a well-known tale. Frost There was once an old man who had a wife and three daughters. The wife had no love for the eldest of the three, who was her stepdaughter, but was always scolding her. Moreover, she used to make her get up ever so early in the morning, and gave her all the work of the house to do. Before daybreak the girl would feed the cattle and give them to drink, fetch wood and water indoors, light the fire in the stove, give the room a wash, mend the dresses, and set everything in order. Even then her grandmother was never satisfied, but would grumble away at Marfa, exclaiming, "'What a lazy bones! What a slut! Why, here's a brush not in its place, and there's something put wrong, and she's left the muck inside the house.' The girl held her peace and wept. She tried in every way to accommodate herself to her stepmother, and to be of service to her stepsisters, but they, taking pattern by their mother, were always insulting Marfa, quarreling with her, and making her cry. That was even a pleasure to them. As for them, they lay in bed late, washed themselves in water, got ready for them, dried themselves with a clean towel, and didn't sit down to work until after dinner. Well, our girls grew and grew, until they grew up and were old enough to be married. The old man felt sorry for his eldest daughter, whom he loved because she was industrious and obedient, never was obstinate, always did as she was bid, and never uttered a word of contradiction. But he didn't know how he was to help her in her trouble. He was feeble, his wife was a scold, and her daughters were as obstinate as they were indolent. Well, the old folks set to work to consider, the husband how he could get his daughter settled, the wife how she could get rid of the eldest one. One day she says to him, I say, old man, let's get Marfa married. Gladly, says he, slinking off to the sleeping place above the stove, but his wife called after him, Get up early tomorrow, old man, harness the mare to the sledge and drive away with Marfa, and Marfa, get your things together in a basket and put on a clean shift. You're going away tomorrow on a visit. Poor Marfa was delighted to hear of such a piece of good luck as being invited on a visit, and she slept comfortably all night. Early next morning she got up, washed herself, prayed to God, got all her things together, packed them away in proper order, dressed herself in her best things, and looked something like a lass, a bride fit for any place whatsoever. 
Now, it was winter time, and out of doors was a rattling frost. Early in the morning, between daybreak and sunrise, the old man harnessed the mare to the sledge and led it up to the steps. Then he went indoors, sat down on the window sill, and said, Now then, I've got everything ready. Sit down at the table and swallow your victuals, replied the old woman. The old man sat down to table and made his daughter sit by his side. On the table stood a pannier. He took out a loaf and cut bread for himself and his daughter. Meantime his wife served up a dish of old cabbage soup and said, There, my pigeon, eat and be off. I've looked at you quite enough. Drive Martha to her bridegroom, old man. And look here, old Greybeard, drive straight along the road at first, and then turn off from the road to the right, you know, into the forest, right up to the big pine that stands on the hill, and there hand Marfa over to Morozko, Frost. The old man opened his eyes wide, also his mouth, and stopped eating, and the girl began lamenting. Now then, what are you hanging your chaps and squealing about? said her stepmother. Surely your bridegroom is a beauty, and he's that rich. Why, just see what a lot of things belong to him. The firs, the pine tops, and the birches, all in their robes of down. Ways it means that anyone might envy, and he himself, a bogatir. The old man silently placed the things on the sledge, made his daughter put on a warm pelisse, and set off on the journey. After a time he reached the forest, turned off from the road, and drove across the frozen snow. When he got into the depths of the forest, he stopped, made his daughter get out, laid her basket under the tall pine, and said, Sit here, and await the bridegroom, and mind you, receive him as pleasantly as you can. Then he turned his horse round and drove off homewards. The girl sat and shivered. The cold had pierced her through. She would fain have cried aloud, but she had not strength enough. Only her teeth chattered. Suddenly she heard a sound. Not far off, Frost was cracking away on a fir. From fir to fir he was leaping and snapping his fingers. Presently he appeared on that very pine under which the maiden was sitting, and from above her head he cried, "'Art thou warm, maiden?' "'Warm, warm I am, dear Father Frost,' she replied. Frost began to descend lower, all the more cracking and snapping his fingers. To the maiden said Frost, "'Art thou warm, maiden? Art thou warm, fair one?' The girl could scarcely draw her breath, but still she replied, "'Warm am I, Frost, dear. Warm am I, father, dear.' Frost began cracking more than ever, and more loudly did he snap his fingers, and to the maiden he said, "'Art thou warm, maiden? Art thou warm, pretty one? Art thou warm, my darling?' The girl was by this time numb with cold, and she could scarcely make herself heard as she replied, Oh, quite warm, Frost, dearest. Then Frost took pity on the girl, wrapped her up in furs, and warmed her with blankets. Next morning the old woman said to her husband, Drive out, old Greybeard, and wake the young couple. The old man harnessed his horse and drove off. When he came to where his daughter was, he found she was alive, and had got a good police, a costly bridal veil, and a pannier with rich gifts. He stowed everything away on the sledge without saying a word, took a seat on it with his daughter, and drove back. They reached home, and the daughter fell at her stepmother's feet. The old woman was thunderstruck when she saw the girl alive in the new pelisse and basket of linen. "'Ah, you wretch!' she cries. "'But you shan't trick me!' Well, a little later the old woman says to her husband, 
take my daughters too to their bridegroom the presents he's made are nothing to what he'll give them well early the next morning the old woman gave her girls their breakfast dressed them as befitted brides and sent them off on their journey in the same way as before the old man left the girls under the pine there the girl sat and kept laughing and saying whatever is mother thinking of all of a sudden to marry both of us off as if there were no lads in our village forsooth some rubbishy fellow may come and goodness knows who he may be the girls were wrapped up in pelisses but for all that they felt cold i say proskovia the frost skinning me alive well if our bridegroom doesn't come quick we shall be frozen to death here don't go talking nonsense mashka as if suitors generally turned up in the forenoon why it's hardly dinner-time yet but i say proskovia if only one comes which of us will he take not you you stupid goose then it will be you i suppose of course it will be me you indeed there now have done talking stuff and treating people like fools meanwhile frost had numbed the girls hands and so our damsels folded them under their dress and then went on quarrelling as before what you fright you sleepy face you abominable shrew why you don't know so much as how to begin weaving and as to going on with it you haven't an idea ah boaster and what is it you know why nothing at all except to go out to merry-makings and lick your lips there we'll soon see which you'll take first while the girls went on scolding like that they began to freeze in downright earnest suddenly they both cried out at once why ever is he so long coming do you know you've turned quite blue now a good way off frost had begun crackling snapping his fingers and leaping from fur to fur to the girls it sounded as if someone was coming listen proskovia he's coming at last and with bells too cut along with you i won't listen my skin is peeling with cold and yet you're still expecting to get married then they began blowing on their fingers nearer and nearer came frost at length he appeared on the pine above the heads of the girls and said to them are ye warm maidens are ye warm pretty ones are ye warm my darlings oh frost it's awfully cold we're utterly perished we're expecting a bridegroom but the confounded fellow has disappeared frost slid lower down the tree cracked away more snapped his fingers oftener than before are ye warm maidens are ye warm pretty ones get along with you are you blind that you cannot see our hands and feet are quite dead still lower descended frost still more put forth his might and said are ye warm maidens into the bottomless pit with you out of sight accursed one cried the girls and became lifeless forms next morning the old woman said to her husband oh man go and get the sled harnessed put an armful of hay in it and take some sheepskin wraps i dare say the girls are half dead with cold there's a terrible frost outside and mind you old graybeard do it quickly before the old man could manage to get a bite he was out of doors and on his way when he came to where his daughters were he found them dead so he lifted the girls on to the sledge wrapped a blanket around them and covered them up with a bark mat the old woman saw him from afar ran out to meet him and called out ever so loud where are the girls in the sledge the old woman lifted the mat undid the blanket and found the girls dead then like a thunderstorm she broke out against her husband abusing him saying what have you done you old wretch you have destroyed my daughters the children of my own flesh and blood my never enough to be gazed on seedlings my beautiful berries i will thrash you with the tongs i will give it to you with the stove rake that's enough you old goose 
You flattered yourself you were going to get riches, but your daughters were too stiff-necked. How was I to blame? It was you yourself would have it. The old woman was in a rage at first and used bad language, but afterwards she made it up with her stepdaughter, and they all lived together peaceably and thrived and bore no malice. A neighbor made an offer of marriage, the wedding was celebrated, and Marfa is now living happily. The old man frightens his grandchildren with stories about frost and doesn't let them have their own way. In a variant from the Kursk government, the stepdaughter is left by her father in the open plain. There she sits, trembling and silently offering up a prayer. Frost draws near, intending to smite her and freeze her to death, but when he says to her, Maiden, maiden, I am Frost the red-nosed, she replies, Welcome, Frost, doubtless God has sent you for my sinful soul. Pleased by her wise words, Frost throws a warm cloak over her, and afterwards presents her with robes embroidered with silver and gold, and a chest containing rich dowry. The girl puts on the robes and appears such a beauty. Then she sits on the chest and sings songs. Meantime her stepmother is baking cakes and preparing for her funeral. After a time her father sets out in search of her dead body, but the dog beneath the table barks, Duff! Duff! The master's daughter in silver and gold by the wedding party is borne along, but the mistress's daughter is wooed by none. Ruff. In vain does its mistress throw it a cake and order it to modify its remarks. It eats the cake, but it repeats its offensive observations until the stepdaughter appears in all her glory. Then the old woman's own daughter is sent to field. Frost comes to have a look at his new guest, expecting wise words from her, too, but as none are forthcoming, he waxes wroth and kills her. When the old man goes to fetch her, the dog barks, Taff! Taff! The master's daughter will be borne along by the bridal train, but the bones of the mistress's daughter are being carried in a bag, and continues to bark in the same strain until the yard gates open. The old woman runs out to greet her daughter, and instead of her embraces a cold corpse. To the Russian peasants, it should be observed, Maros, our own Jack Frost, is a living personage. On Christmas Eve it is customary for the oldest man in each family to take a spoonful of kiesel, a sort of pudding, and then, having put his head through the window, to cry, Frost, Frost, come and eat kiesel. Frost, Frost, do not kill our oats. Drive our flax and hemp deep into the ground. The Cheremises have similar ideas, and are afraid of knocking the icicles off their houses, thinking that if they do so, Frost will wax wroth and freeze them to death. In one of the skazkas, a peasant goes out one day to a field of buckwheat, and finds it all broken down. He goes home and tells the bad news to his wife, who says, "'It is Frost who has done this. Go and find him, and make him pay for the damage.' So the peasant goes into the forest and after wandering about for some time, lights upon a path which leads him to a cottage made of ice, covered with snow, and hung with icicles. He knocks at the door, and out comes an old man, all white. This is Frost, who presents him with the magic cudgel and tablecloth, which work wonders in so many of the tales. In another story, a peasant meets the sun, the wind, and the frost. He bows to all three, but adds an extra salutation to the wind. This enrages the two others, and the sun cries out that he will burn up the peasant. But the wind says, I will blow cold and temper the heat. Then the frost threatens to freeze the peasant to death, 
but the wind comforts it, saying, I will blow warm, and will not let you be hurt. Sometimes the frost is described by the people as a mighty smith who forges strong chains with which to bind the earth and the waters, as in the saying, the old one has built a bridge without axe and without knife. That is, the river is frozen over. Sometimes Moreau's Trescun, the crackling frost, is spoken of without disguise as the preserver of the hero who is ordered to enter a bath which has been heated red-hot. Frost goes into the bath and breathes with so icy a breath that the heat of the building turns at once to cold. The story in which Frost so singularly figures is one which is known in many lands, and of which many variants are current in Russia. The jealous hatred of a stepmother, who exposes her stepdaughter to some great peril, has been made the theme of countless tales. What gives its special importance, as well as its poetical charm, to the skazka which has been quoted, is the introduction of Frost as the power to which the stepmother has recourse for the furtherance of her murderous plans, and by which she, in the persons of her own daughters, is ultimately punished. We have already dealt with one specimen of the skazkas of this class, the story of Vasilisa, who is sent to the Baba Yaga for a light. Another, still more closely connected with that of Frost, occurs in Kudyakov's collection. A certain woman ordered her husband, says the story, to make away with his daughter by a previous marriage, so he took the girl into the forest and left her in a kind of hut, telling her to prepare some soup while he was cutting wood. At that time there was a gale blowing, and the old man tied a log to a tree. When the wind blew, the log rattled. She thought the old man was gone on cutting wood, but in reality he had gone away home. When the soup was ready, she called out to her father to come to dinner. No reply came from him, but there was a human head in the forest, and it replied, I am coming immediately. And when the head arrived, it cried, Maiden, open the door. She opened it. Maiden, maiden, lift me over the threshold. She lifted it over. Maiden, maiden, put the dinner on the table. She did so, and she and the head sat down to dinner. When they had dined, Maiden, maiden, said the head, take me off the bench. She took it off the bench and cleared the table. It lay down to sleep on the bare floor. She lay on the bench. She fell asleep, but it went through the forest after its servants. The house became bigger. Servants, horses, everything one could think of suddenly appeared. The servants came to the maiden and said, Get up, it's time to go for a drive. So she got into a carriage with the head, but she took a cock along with her. She told the cock to crow, it crowed. Again she told it to crow, it crowed again. And a third time she told it to crow, when it had crowed for the third time, the head fell to pieces and became a heap of golden coins. Then the stepmother sent her own daughter into the forest. Everything occurred as before until the head arrived. Then she was so frightened that she tried to hide herself, and she would do nothing for the head, which had to dish up its own dinner and eat by himself, and so when she lay down to sleep it ate her up. In a story in Chudinsky's collection, the stepdaughter is sent by night to watch the rye in an avin, or corn-kiln. Presently a stranger appears and asks her to marry him. She replies that she has no wedding clothes, upon which he brings her everything she asks for, but she is very careful not to ask for more than one thing at a time, 
and so the cock crows before her list of indispensable necessaries is exhausted. The stranger immediately disappears, and she carries off her presence in triumph. The next night her stepsister is sent to the Abin, and the stranger appears as before and asks her to marry him. She also replies that she has no wedding clothes, and he offers to supply her with what she wants, whereupon instead of asking for a number of things one after the other, she demands them all at once, stockings, garters, a petticoat, a dress, comb, earrings, a mirror, soap, white paint, and rouge, and everything which her stepsister had got. Then follows the catastrophe. The stranger brought everything all at once. Now then, he says, will you marry me now? Wait a bit, said the stepmother's daughter. I'll wash and dress and whiten myself and rouge myself, and then I'll marry you. And straightway she set to work, washing and dressing, and she hastened and hurried to get all that done. She wanted so awfully to see herself decked out as a bride. By and by she was quite dressed, but the cock had not yet crowed. "'Well, madam,' says he, "'will you marry me now?' "'I'm quite ready,' says she. Thereupon he tore her to pieces. There is one other of those personifications of natural forces which play an active part in the Russian tales, about which a few words may be said— it often happens that the heroine-stealer, whom the hero of the story has to overcome, is called, not by Koshchei, nor the snake, but Vikr, the whirlwind. Here is a brief analysis of part of one of the tales in which this elementary abducer figures. There was once a certain king whose wife went out one day to walk in the garden. Suddenly a gale, Vikr, sprang up. In the gale was the Vikr bird. Vikr seized the queen and carried her off. She left three sons, and they, when they came to man's estate, said to their father, Where is our mother? If she be dead, show us her grave. If she be living, tell us where to find her. I myself know not where your mother is, replied the king. Vikr carried her off. Well, then, they said, since Vikr carried her off, and she is alive, give us your blessing. We will go in search of our mother. All three set out, but only the youngest, Prince Vasily, succeeded in climbing the steep hill whereupon stood the palace in which his mother and Vikr lived. Entering it during Vikr's absence, the prince made himself known to his mother, who straightway gave him to eat and concealed him in a distant apartment, hiding him behind a number of cushions so that Vikr might not easily discover him. And she gave him these instructions. If Vikr comes and begins quarreling, don't come forth. If he takes to chatting, come forth and say, Hail father, and seize hold of the little finger of his right hand, and wherever he flies, do you go with him. Presently Vikr came flying in, and addressed the queen angrily. Prince Vasily remained concealed until his mother gave him a hint to come forth. This he did, and then greeted Vikr and caught hold of his right little finger. Vikr tried to shake him off, flying first about the house, and then out of it, but all in vain. At last Vikr, after soaring on high, struck the ground and fell to pieces, becoming a fine yellow sand. But the little finger remained in the possession of Prince Vasily, who scraped together the sand and burnt it in the stove. With a mention of two other singular beings who occur in the Skazkas, the present chapter may be brought to a close. The first is a certain Morphe, Morpheus, who figures in the following variant of a well-known tale. There was a king, and he had a daughter, with whom a general, who lived over the way, fell in love. 
but the king would not let him marry her unless he went to where none had been and brought back thence what none had seen after much consideration the general set out and travelled over swamps hills and rivers at last he reached a wood in which was a hut and inside the hut was an old crone to her he told his story after hearing which she cried out ho there morphe dish up the meal and immediately a dinner appeared of which the old crone made the general partake and next day she presented that cook to the general ordering him to serve the general honorably as he served her the general took the cook and departed by and by he came to a river and was appealed to for food by a shipwrecked crew morphe give them to eat he cried and immediately excellent viands appeared with which the mariners were so pleased that they gave the general a magic volume in exchange for his cook who however did not stay with them but secretly followed his master a little later the general found another shipwrecked crew who gave him in exchange for his cook a sabre and a towel each of magic power then the general returned to his own city and his magic properties enabled him to convince the king that he was an eligible suitor for the hand of the princess the other is a mysterious personage whose name is oh the story in which he appears is one with which many countries are familiar and of which numerous versions are to be found in russia a father sets out with his boy for the bazaar hoping to find a teacher there who will instruct the child in such science as establishes people to work little and feed delicately and dress well after walking a long way the man becomes weary and exclaims oh i am so tired immediately there appears an old magician who says why do you call me i didn't call you replies the old man i don't even know who you are my name is o said the magician and you cried o where are you taking that boy the father explains what it is he wants and the magician undertakes to give the boy the requisite education charging one assignat rouble for a year's tuition the teacher in this story is merely called a magician but as in other russian versions of it his counterpart is always described as being demoniacal and is often openly styled a devil it may be assumed that o belongs to the supernatural order of things it is often very difficult however to distinguish magicians from fiends in storyland the same powers being generally wielded and that for the same purposes by the one set of beings as by the other of those powers and of the end to which the stories represent them as being turned some mention will be made in the next chapter end of part 5 recording by kevin davidson www.blogordie.com